name is Eric McGrew, of course. I'm here with Elevated Office Consulting and Eric Street Service, Montrose, Colorado. I also am sponsored by Gap Arbor Supply, and I work with Weaver Arborist. So, um, first off, I wanted to come to you guys and let you know a couple things. A reminder, I will be at TCIA 22. So, if you're going to be there, stop by the Gap Arbor Supply booth. Uh, Let's see what's going on, and let's chat. I'd love to meet more of you. I'm always... So, one thing a lot of people don't realize that I do in this capacity of my consulting work for companies and things... I'm always looking for um, people that can help out with product development or that can um, potentially be sponsored, uh, you know, by other people. Um, I, I, sponsoring and all that stuff for me is, it, it has its place, but it's not like the main focus of what I do. Um, that's not really my big focus on things being a consultant is more of what I'm working in. Um, and what I want to do, of course, still do tree work and things like that. I've not been as active on social media with that kind of stuff recently, because I don't know. I, I know that a lot of people like to see the repetition of things. To me, it becomes very repetitive and kind of boring. And I, I think I resonate not that I'm comparing myself to him by any means, please don't take it that way. But I once heard Reg Coates say, I, I, I've, I've shown everything there is to be shown that I know. And I, I, he, he wanted to kind of quit making videos and stuff. And a bunch of people were like, no, don't stop. And, and I get it because they like seeing the content. Um, but to be honest, uh, it, it gets kind of repetitive just putting out the same logging content or forestry content or... You know, I haven't been climbing much lately because we've been up in the forest doing lots of forestry work. I've been up there for about the past four months. We're finally coming down. I've got more property clearing and logging to do, but that's just kind of how it is. So um, if you guys want to, if you're going to be at TCIA, you want to stop by, uh, make sure you hit me up. Let's meet. Let's um, see. And I always keep people in, in mind. I'm also always helping people connect with climbers. So if you are a climber or whatever or an arborist and you um, are willing to contract out or whatnot, I, I like to have people's details and I do a lot of social networking and business networking and things. So I try to help people connect where they need to connect for who they need to connect to and, and make that, you know, functional for you guys. So, you know, it's not a it's not just about what I get out of it. It's it's really about what I can do for you guys or my clients as well. So um, on top of that, if you guys haven't heard, which if you haven't heard, you're probably not seeing my video. DMM does have a recall on like the Nexus and the micro swivels and the compact swivels and some of their carabiners that have swivels and things like that. So go check out DMM Wells um, website. Make sure that if you're using any of those, you stop using them in production instantly. Um, that's kind of a, a it's it's a it's a sad thing for me because um, I use the Nexus swivel on my lanyard that's attached to my my saddle, and come to find out, I just found out Patrick with um, uh, Educated Climber was talking about the same thing. He has his lanyard on a swivel and. That's a that's a huge tool to me. Like that swivel is an amazing addition to my saddle. 
Um, I don't, as far as I understand, it does not affect like the DMM large swivels, like the red and silver ones, which I use on my bridge, but it does affect those smaller ones. So, uh, you might want to keep in mind, you know, what you need. And if it's under the recall, make sure you take that off your saddle and take it out of use. Go through the form on the website. You can, um, submit it to them and then they'll help you take care of that, which, um, I gotta say on their part, that's a really stellar and proactive approach. So that's cool. I'm glad to hear that they are taking that so seriously. So, um, other than that, I'm, I'm trying to think of if I've heard anything else in the industry. Um, as far as what you guys will find interesting, probably not. So that's all um, on that topic. But I have been thinking about something that a number of people have said to me. Um, and I'm always getting questions. People are always, you know, reaching out and whatnot. So I try to take that into consideration with these conversations that we all have together here. Um, one is that I've been asked to put more stuff up on YouTube. So I'm going to try to start doing that again. Um, but... Two is that I get a lot of comments about, you know, climbing and how to be a, a better climber, techniques, whatever. You know, they follow all these guys and they're doing all this with their, their techniques and things. And that is an important part of being a professional climber, 100%. However, I do find that there is a lesser appreciated and lesser liked aspect of being a professional arborist and climber. And that is knowing your ANSI standards. And then when I talk to a few people that I've known a, a good bit, you kind of have two kinds of people in the world. Basically, those who, um, whether they like reading or not, knowledge is important enough to them and they think that that makes a professional. So they go through the effort to study and learn it. And then those who are like, ah, with physical skills and whatnot, that's good enough for me. And they kind of ignore the the academic side of, of being a professional. And I'll tell you, from my personal point of view, okay, um, I don't think you can ignore the academic side of it if you want to be really appreciated as a professional in the industry. Um, you don't have to be a, a stuff shirt about things, but you do you do need to know the the industry standards things like that. No company is going to hire you as a consultant if you don't even know what the industry standards are in at least a good portion of the things. Um, no company wants to work with you if you're representing their company in a way that could more than likely promote a dangerous situation and you could actually cause you or influence people to do things in a way that would potentially cause them harm and get them a lawsuit. Uh, so the academic side of it is extremely important. And unfortunately, I find that it's undervalued by many in the industry. I don't want to say all because there's plenty of us out there that that appreciate the academic side. In fact, I have like multiple forms of dyslexia. I hate reading, but I do it a lot because um, as a consultant, when people ask me about products, I have to look up specs. I have to read, um, you know, charts of of how tests were done and what's going on. And I can't be an effective consultant if I don't know that. As a business owner, same thing. I have to know what I'm doing to, to help those who are working on my crew to be safe so that if an accident occurs, they can't come back to me and hold me accountable for more 
than what it was that, um, you know, more than necessary because there's, there's probably some fault on my part as well as a business owner. It's almost, it's rare that it was only the employee's fault. Usually business culture leads up to that. So, um, I thought what I would do is I'd go over some of the ANSI Z133 standards over time, not not like the whole book in one go, but over time to help you guys out a little bit. Now, if you don't own this book, this is the 2017 edition. I'm pretty sure, and you can see that right there, Z133 2017. I'm pretty sure as of this moment, this is the most recent edition. Now, it seems that the the committee gets together and reevaluates the ANSI Z133 standards about every six years-ish. Um, it doesn't seem that there's an exact, I've never seen anything written, but it looks like pretty much from the dates of what is stated in the foreword and everything, um, that they are about every six years. So it was um, 1978. 1982-1987-1994-2000-2006-2012-and-then-2017-was-the-last-revision-so-if-it's-following-the-six-year-mark-we're-getting-close-for-them-to-re-meet-and-reconvene-and-reevaluate-what-the-ANSI-standards-are-
arbor.com. So they're looking for your comments as well. If you see something in the industry that you really think should be changed, that's a concern, that isn't regulated like it should be, or is dangerous and nobody's really brought it up, or if there's a better way, then submit those requests. And who knows, they will consider it and possibly even offer that up in the uh, revision. So, you know, a lot of people complain, oh, this is the, this is that and the other and whatnot. But really, what I find is that a lot of people don't know what the standards are and they're complaining about something that they've just heard by word of mouth or that they aren't really trying to fix any of the problem by potentially submitting a different request. Remember, these people have experience, but they're not perfect either. And they don't have every situation under um, under their their control. Now, I will say that the companies represented, it, represented are a broad, wide spectrum of companies. And they're all across the U.S. And they have quite a um, range of viewpoint that can help them. Now... Real briefly, um, recently I was speaking with a friend of mine who is a, a very um, capable, you know, arborist and tree climber. And we were talking about crane rigging and um, he was talking about how he does it. And I was mentioning some ideas about what I do and why. And he, he didn't understand why I like to use um, my slings the way that I do. And I'm not going to get into the whole process because it's long and tedious and it's hard to understand speaking about it. But what we found out is that the kinds of trees he had been working with and rigging out as a general rule were not the kinds of trees that I do as a general rule. And um, I, I just flew to Ohio to meet with Weaver and I was speaking with the, the folks there. And I was as I was driving around this area of Ohio, I started noticing their trees are not like my trees. Um, same varieties in a lot of ways and things, but they're very different. The, the average variety is different than what I deal with out here. The structures of those trees are different. The way that they're, they've been pruned for decades is different. And also the terrain in which those trees grow create a situation where the trees grow differently, even if they're the, of the same species a lot of times. I appreciate everybody who's um, popped on and off. I don't mean to be antisocial, but I'm um, just trying to get through a concept here as fluidly as possible. So thanks for tuning in. <clears throat> so with that all in mind, um, it it definitely has is a situation where we can get caught up in a concept of what we think is the right way to do something or the best way. And it's really not taking into consideration all the factors. In fact, it's impossible for us to do this as humans. We can't understand all the factors. That's why standards like this exist. That's why they have groups, a uh, uh, governing body or, uh, you know, um, a committee that are from various areas of the country and try to come together to create these standards. And then, of course, these standards can be adapted or not by city code and whatnot. And then, of course, these are addition in many ways and, and lots of times to, to OSHA, which doesn't really know how in a lot of ways to, to oversee 
the aspects of tree work. I mean, OSHA has their standards for like a, a, a lift operator and, and bucket operator and things like that. But one, especially once you get into tree climbing and forestry and there's a lot of stuff that's kind of like, yeah. And, and they're like, well, we don't really, it's, you can't put that finite law on it is the thing. It's hard to. So, so it becomes a challenge and that's where ANSI comes into play. You know, the, the most famous statement about the ANSI rules are that, our standards, I should say, not rules. The ANSI standards are that they've been written in blood. And they say that about OSHA. And it's very true. They have been. A lot of this comes from experiencing the worst of a situation. And therefore, um, it shouldn't really be taken lightly. Um, I'm not saying that I follow all of them all the time. I would love to be able to say I'm perfect and do so. I will say that I try hard to apply them and follow them the best I can. But we're all imperfect people, so um, keep that in mind as well, right? Um, but like, just to give you a, an idea, because I know a lot of people don't like to read, and I figured if I could go over these sections with you guys, and I'm not going to explain them to you because it's not my position to interpret or explain. I'm just going to read them out to you, but I figure maybe if you're listening to this, um, you could listen to them read, and maybe that will... Um, help you have the motivation to go get the book. You can buy the ANSI Z133 standards from most of the Arborist Supply Houses. You can buy them from ANSI as well. Um, I'm sorry, ISA. So if you go to ISA website, you can buy them there. And you can get them. I know Gap Arbor Supply had them for a while. I think they still do. Um, and some of the other Arborist Supply and Climbing Supply Houses have them. So, um, section one is titled general and section 1.1 is scope. So this is going to give you, of course, the scope of what's going on. Section 1.1 scope says this standard contains arboriculture safety requirements for pruning, repairing, maintaining, and removing trees, cutting brush, and for using equipment in such operations. Note terms specific to the safe practice of arboriculture appear in boldface type at first use and are defined in Annex A, Glossary of Terms for ANSI Z-133. So what that means is here you'll see that it has arboriculture in boldface type. It's the first time it's been used in the book. So you can go to Annex A, which is in the very back. There's tabs on the side that tell you what you're looking at, Annex, for instance. You just look for Annex A, and um, then you can get the definitions for these. And it's really important that you look up the definitions because um, terms such as arborist and arboriculture are used pretty widely. And those terms may not be exactly the definition that ANSI is putting into place. So it's it's a really good and important aspect to go actually look up the term that's being referenced in, in the book and how ANSI, the ANSI committee is actually, you know, uh, putting it into application. So um, arboriculture and beside the word, so um, where's it at? Arboriculture beside it, it'll have in parentheses like 1.1. 1 .1. 
That means this is the definition of arboriculture as they're applying it in section one, subparagraph one, and it says the art, science, technology, and business of utility, commercial, and municipal tree care. Okay, so that's what they're discerning and defining arboriculture as in this application. And then um, subsection 1.2 is titled Purpose. It says the purpose of this document is to provide safety standards for arborists and other workers engaged in arboriculture operations. It is intended as a guide to federal, state, and local authorities in drafting their regulations and may be adopted in whole or in part. And then here we have arborist as a um, boldface type. So we got to go back to the Annex A in the back, which is on page 42, I want to say, of this edition. 43, sorry. And it says right here, arborist for section 1.8 or 1.2, an individual engaged in the profession of arboriculture. So everything that was referred to as arboriculture earlier, which is the art, science, technology, and business of utility, commercial, and municipal tree care, right? That's arboriculture. So an arborist in the definition of ANSI is an individual engaged in the profession of these aspects of arboriculture, okay? So that's super important to keep in mind. Then it says in section 1.3, application. So they're going to tell you how it's applied now. This standard is intended to serve as a reference for safety requirements that will apply to all employers, which is in bold, or persons engaged in the business, trade, or performance of arboriculture for pay, operations of which include, but are not limited to, tree pruning, repairing, maintaining, removing trees, cutting brush, or performing pest or soil management. And then it states, this standard may require situational modifications in response to personal emergencies and is not intended to limit the options available to emergency responders. Okay, so now we go back and we look at the um, term employers. And that's why it's important that if you are in the industry as a crew member or a crew overseer, um, like a foreman or a supervisor or a manager, or if you own the business, super important you get a copy of these standards because you have a responsibility to uphold them. And it's going to be important that you understand what it is that they're um, requiring of you as a employer. So here, ANSI Annex A um, for Z133 2017 says, employer, the definition, a person or entity engaged in a business or work activity who has employees working at his or her their direction or the designated representative of this person or entity. So that means that not only is the owner, the business owner responsible as the employer, but also it's applying to supervisors, crew chiefs, whatever it might be. Okay. So important to know this. And then section 1.4 says responsibilities of the employee. So now we're talking about, you know, employees and it says each person, employee or otherwise, shall, and shall is in a boldface type. Um, it's interesting because in the legal sense of what ANSI is using, you'll see the words shall and should 
consistently, and those are important to understand. Hey, what's up, Davey? And so in this aspect, it says each person, employee or otherwise, shall be responsible for his or her own safety while at work and shall comply with the appropriate federal or state occupational safety and health standards and all rules, regulations, and orders that are applicable to his or her own actions and conduct. So when we look up the definition of shall, okay, so now we go back to that annex and um, we look up shall, it will tell us what shall means. And this is a super important differentiation between shall and should. Um, and many of you have heard this. If you've been in any climbing courses or anything, you've heard it. But it doesn't hurt to, to know. And this is for those who may not have ever heard it as well. And so here it says um, shall, according to section 1.4, the definition that they're using is, as used in this standard, denotes a mandatory requirement. So when you see something like this one says, each person shall be responsible for his or her own safety while at work and shall comply with the appropriate federal or state occupational safety and health standards and all rules, regulations, and orders that are applicable to his or her own actions and conduct, that means you have a mandatory requirement as an employee to understand what those standards are. So ignorance really isn't an option in this. So if something happens, you can be held liable for it if you just haven't done your research and don't know any better and you do something stupid and it gets you or someone else hurt or killed, okay? So that's why, you know, I. We're in one of the most dangerous industries in the world, really. But I know in the United States, it's like, I think they consider logging and tree climbing and tree service work, arboriculture aspects, especially when it deals with at heights or, you know, felling trees or whatever, to be, I think, the second or third most dangerous um, industry. I've heard it's the number one. But I've also heard that that's been um, kind of fought against and that Alaskan crabbing is number, I don't know. Um, anyway, the point is, it's extremely dangerous. So we don't want to be like ignorant to things that could get us killed. And And how many mistakes does it take really for somebody to die? You might have been getting away with the same thing for 30 years. It doesn't matter. It only takes one mistake of not knowing what the standard was. And even if you've done it 30 years the same way and nobody ever got hurt, that one time you did it wrong and somebody did get hurt, you're still going to be held liable for it. So make sure you understand what these standards are. I'm going to go ahead and go over standard number two real quick or section number two real quick. It's really short and then we'll call it a day there and then we'll do another video talking about section three because section three is pretty long and we'll cut that up into portions so um section number two of ANSI Z133 the 2017 edition says normative references and if you don't know what that is they're going to explain it right here um it says this standard contains references to other American national standards and federal regulations which through reference in this text constitute provisions of this American national standard. 
see Annex D, Additional Resources, for a list of these and other applicable informative references. At the time of publication, the additions indicated were valid. All standards are subject to revision and parties to agreements based on this American national standard are encouraged to investigate the possibility of applying the most recent editions of the standards indicated in Annex D. What does that mean? Well, it basically is meaning that you got to keep up with making sure the information you have is up to date. Things change, go check it out. So even if you read a reference and once again, this, um, it's been six years since this was written about. So things can change in six years. You might want to like go back and reread some of those references and make sure those references are still up to date. Davey says, um, yeah, I tried to get personal work insurance. It is about a thousand dollars down if you're working above 30 feet. Yeah. Um, I mean, so my insurance is crazy right now because of all my equipment and stuff. I'm trying to think, I want to say that when I started and it was just me and like one helper and, um, I didn't have anything but a chipper and a truck. My insurance was about 2,400 bucks a year. Um, for me and I was running a subcontractor and he paid his own insurance, which was about, I think he paid 1200 bucks a year because he didn't have any, you know, major equipment, just his pickup truck and, and whatnot. So, um, that's not, that's not bad. I will say that now that I've gotten into forestry, which we can go into later, um, it, it gets way more expensive. Just FYI. Um, the second part of this paragraph, and I'll go back to that in a second, Dave. Um, just give me a second. The second paragraph in the section two normative references states, because of many specialized procedures use, utilized during arboriculture operations, it must be emphasized that exceptions to provisions of these standards may be acceptable and that flexibility and or a decision as to the applicability of these standards to professional operations may be required. Basically, OSHA has standards. Certain ANSI subsets for certain kinds of occupations have their standards, but because arboriculture is unique in its function of various things, it's possible but that the outlining standards that are already in place by OSHA and other ANSI documents don't particularly apply to us. And I can give you one really quick instance that I know of um, as a traditional and typical standard, riding a crane ball, totally not acceptable. In like if you found somebody trying to ride a crane ball in any situation um, for construction that I know of, it's ANSI would shut you down. Um, however, in arboriculture work, it's a little bit different because they realize that we're dealing with high-risk trees, trees that are unsafe, also um, removal of large materials from positions and places that particularly m may not be practical or um, capable of being, you know, accomplished without a crane. So that kind of changes. But I have heard of guys who are tree um, climbers and arborist companies that have actually been stopped by OSHA because somebody was riding the crane ball, even though they were riding it correctly. And by crane ball, I don't mean actually the hook, but riding, you know, with their, um, 
their crane attachment point uh, on the back above the Beckett, you know, above the headache ball. And um, OSHA didn't understand, and they tried to shut them down. And thankfully enough, the the owner of the, the owner of the company actually had the Z one thirty three booklet and could go through it and talk to him. And the OSHA um, representative was like, "Okay, well at least and checked all the other stuff, made sure they were all safe and complied, but let them keep on going because he thought that they were actually breaking the law." Which is, you know, I think that it's becoming more and more known. But um, still, if you're in an area where crane work isn't as readily used, you could actually be getting in in trouble. Um, and to be fair, guys, to, to point at, a, you know, Gap Arbor Supply website or another website and say, look, they sell an ANSI-rated crane tie-in means absolutely nothing to an OSHA guy. He's like, well, they can sell anything they want. doesn't mean that it's legal. Um, so if you don't know your standards, you could be getting yourself in a little bit of uh, a situation there. So definitely try to, to know the standards. Um, like I said, me reading these to you and talking about them a little bit over the next, you know, however many episodes of this that I do is not a substitute for you actually going and getting your own copy. I really recommend there be a copy in the office of the ANSI Z133 um, standards. I recommend that business owners, if you're out in the field, have it on you, and crew chiefs have a copy on them as well that anybody can reference. Um, you, your guys should know what the standards are. Uh, you should be doing training sessions for your company with these standards. Reminding people. And as we get into section three, you'll actually see that there's some standard um, operating procedures that they actually expect you to go through with your um, your people. And that they want to know that they, they understand and know. So, um, back to Dave's comment about insurance. Yeah, insurance is um, is a wild thing. Uh, so first and foremost, I, I always recommend getting insurance. You're not a professional without it, in my opinion. You can't. Legally, you shouldn't be running, and, and ethically, you shouldn't be running, in my opinion. Uh, I do try to avoid using my insurance at all costs. If I happen to damage something, I try to work it out with the client first instead of going through the insurance. Um, however, do know that as you expand and you move into different areas, there's a good chance that you will have to up your insurance. And as you expand and shift your kinds of insurance or add to them, it's going to get more and more and more and more expensive. Um, so I went from Yeah, it's, I, I get it, Dave. But think about it this way. Um, so I get that a lot from the, from people that I, I speak to. They, they say, man, insurance is a lot of money. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's, it's a chunk. Um, so we'll look at that, Dave, because I'm not saying you're wrong, but it should be a 1 million, 2 million policy for most people. Certain certain states, certain counties, certain um, countries require a different level. So so make sure that you understand what they're offering you. 
Um, if you're looking at a three million, two million, or a you know a two million, five million, it's going to be more expensive. I run a three, a one million, two million for liability only, and um, like I said with my uh, chipper and all that stuff, um, and it was a nine hundred series um, Vermeer, so a nine inch chipper, and my pickup truck, my business insurance itself, not the vehicle insurance, but the business insurance itself was, um, what it was like 1200 or so a month. I mean a year. Um, now my insurance with the skid steer and all that stuff and the, and all the equipment I have and all the trailers I have, I have like four trailers, the skid, the 1500 BC chipper, um, I, I want to say it's gone up to like nine or 10 grand a year for insurance. It's not cheap. It's ridiculous, but let me put this into perspective. If I'm running the skid with an operator, just the skid and an operator, um, and i don't have anybody else, um, on the ground, then I'm charging at least depending on what the work is and where it's at, at least 1500 a day, at least. So, um, you take into consideration, you know, how many days that really takes to, to pay off, you know, the insurance, it's not that much. Um, it's a very, very small portion of your year, or it's not even a full month's worth of work. It's like two and a half weeks. If you're doing your business right to be able to pay off the insurance for the whole year, if that makes sense. Um, what gets me and what's a challenge for me and my company is all the other expenditures, um, the constant repairs, the constant breakdowns and that kind of stuff. So yes, I get that insurance is expensive. And as a climber, when it was 1200 a year, um, literally if I worked two days, my insurance for the year was paid. I mean, it was just paid. That's after paying my expenses for the fuel, um, for the chipper that day, paying the payment on the chipper that, you know, month, paying my guy that was helping me out and paying myself something still in two days, my insurance, maybe three days, my insurance for the year was paid. So if you can't, if you can't pay the insurance at like 2000 or so dollars a year, you're not charging enough. It really shouldn't be that much of your work that pays for that insurance. Does that make sense? I, I hope I'm not trying to put you down, Dave. I appreciate you bringing up the topic, but I, I think it's a lot of how to, to view it. Like if it was just me, just by myself, and I just had my small chipper in my truck and I was doing all the work, I was still gonna charge seven or 800 bucks a day just for me. And if you can't get that, then you're charging too little or you, we need, you need to contact me. Um, we need to talk about your sales strategy because <laughs> you shouldn't have a problem yet. I'm in one of the lowest like um, market rates of the US for tree work and I can still get, um, I, I still can get, you know, 800 bucks for one guy climbing a day. Um, and, and so, you know, and then if it's going to take me three or four days, then I just charge them, you know, 800 bucks a day for three or four days, whatever it takes, because I'm just one guy. Um, but then you have to, you have to balance that a little bit with what other people will charge and that's a whole, yeah, that's why I offer the consulting. If you need the consulting, 
hit me up. We'll talk about it. I'll, I'll work out a price with you and we'll go over some consulting. It'll be a little bit of money up front. Promise it'll be in your best interest in the long run though. You'll, you'll have a better idea and feel more confident about moving forward with the company and, and what you're trying to do. So, um, it, it gets really, yeah, it's a, it's really nerve wracking to jump into tree work or any business really with the unknown and things. But, um, that, I guess that's another thing. Um, even then you need your own insurance, man, especially subbing, especially subbing. They will throw you under the bus as a contractor. You, you need to make sure you're covered, bro. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't mean to pressure you, but you need to make sure you're covered. Subbing for others and them saying you're covered. All they have to do in that situation is say, well, he's a subcontractor. He should add his own insurance. Now, don't get me wrong. Most likely they would still get sued and the money would have to come out of them. But talking about a headache and then the way that people will talk about you, your professional reputation could be really damaged. Um, you know, if you're a fly-by-night guy and don't really care about your reputation and you're going to charge $300 to do a $1,200 job and like bail out on the customer halfway through, and, and I'm not saying you are, Dave. I'm just saying if that's the kind of person that you want to be, then insurance isn't for you. I'm just saying. But I think that our conversations, Dave, based on the way that you um, have spoken about things. I think that you're not that person that you want to be, you know, quality and, and a reputable business person. And I think that the only way to do that is by having insurance. So do whatever you've got to do. You sell, you know, sell your dirt bike, sell your bike, sell your kid's bike and buy them a new one later. I, I don't mean I'm, I'm being a little hard. But do what you've got to do. Get that insurance. Um, it's super important. You don't need it till you need it. And when you need it, it's too late. So um, also not having insurance, by the way, will limit you uh, to who will hire you as a contractor. So uh, just keep that, keep that in mind. But yeah, um, and insurance will go up as you grow. Um, so kind of plan for that. If you're not planning for your insurance growth, then you're not planning appropriately for your business. And, um, I got to tell you, this is all coming from a guy who this past year has, you know, I, I try to be very open and frank about everything with my business as a consultant. I think that that's extremely important because it gives confidence, um, to others. And I've struggled this year. My company has not done as well as I would like. I have grown sales more than ever, but um, it's been it's been a serious uh, challenge this year. I've had a I I don't know what happened. Um, every piece of equipment I own is just falling apart this year, and I have barely been able to keep up with the expenses of just keeping the equipment running. Hopefully, soon it'll be resolved. It seems like it's getting there. But this year, I was just struggling to hang on. Now, does that make me a poor businessman? Does that mean that my business is a failure? Um, no, that doesn't. And and that's the point. You know, people wanna, will want to say, well, you're not making millions. How can you be a, a um, consultant? Well, you know what? 
if you looked at the expenses I've had this year and just repairs alone, the fact that I'm still in business means <laughs> that I'm, I'm capable. Um, and that's just how it is. Everybody I've talked to this year is dealing with something very similar. Uh, it, I, I, a local guy here, a friend of mine who owns a competing tree company, we, we talk to each other regularly. One of his um, pickups, I think it was an F-350 with a, a chip box on the back of it. Uh, the, the frame literally snapped in half on him. And he's like, "Where? it's it's not that old of a truck. Um, so where did that come from? It, it just, it happens. And then my skid steer's been nothing but problems. It's brand new. Bobcat's not really wanting to help me with it because, you know, right now with the way inventory is for equipment companies and things, they're not giving people the service that they once did. Just know that. I, you know, everybody complains about Vermeer chippers and, and I've had my problems with Vermeers. I know people who bought Altex and they've had problems with Altex and there's not an Altex dealer anywhere near. So they're having to go back east to get them fixed um, or try to fix them themselves and risk voiding warranty. Uh, I, the guy that his truck broke in half, he bought a Bandit from Salt Lake City, which is five hours from here. Um, he was like, oh, yeah, greatest thing, da-da-da-da-da, but it's had its problems. And he's like, really? I don't know that one is better than the other these days. They just have different problems. And um, I honestly think that with the whole COVID thing and then the max um, resignation um, or the mass resignation, you know, quote-unquote, that's gone on with all these people leaving the workforce and things for different reasons, I think that quality control is just extremely down. I, I think that honestly, um, they can't keep up with it. And so quality control has gone out. Customer service has left the building. Uh, it's not what it used to be. And I don't know that it's going to get back to that anytime soon. So we have to learn to deal with things in a different way. And also, of course, just the rising cost. I mean, I've, I've made more, I've raised my prices more times this year alone than I have in the past four years. Um, and it's because everything's just crazy. Uh, so it's a real challenge to keep up on, um, yeah, Dave, saw parts for steel. I've heard Husky's the same, um, Echo's a little bit better, but yeah, they're all just, you know, really, really hard. In fact, <laughs> we're going to get off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, so if it helps anybody out, you guys have seen me run my John Cutter G5800. It is a Chinese-made saw that I bought on Amazon. I bought it. I thought I think the saw head was $179 or something like that, $199 maybe. Um, I sent it off to uh, Buxton Work Saws. He built the thing for me. I bought a... Samura light bar for it and then I bought some archer chain which I still like and um, put that thing together the saw total total is like 700 bucks I want to say for everything um, I it's a 50cc saw and it runs it's pretty close to my 400 it's it's a pretty close power to the, the steel 400C. And it's only a $700 saw. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's not cheap, but for the power it's got and the weight ratio, like the lightweight 
aspect of it. I run a 20 inch bar on it. It could pull a 24. I run a 20 inch bar on it. I use it a lot for climbing um, and bucking up smaller trees. It's just so light and nimble and easy. It doesn't hurt my lower back as much. And I, you know, I don't know that I'll ever go back and buy a 362 ever again or a 261. I just don't think I'll do it. Um, I had the Echo 500P that was built by Buxton Work Saws. I really liked that saw as well. But I got to tell you, um, I don't know. There's just something about that John Cutter G5800. In fact, I bought a spare and had it built. I love that saw. And it's so affordable. So um, there's ways to find stuff that's quality and and like not have to spend the amount of money. And the great thing about the John Cutter is you can buy parts on eBay and Amazon all day long and they're super cheap. A carb is like 20 bucks or $18 or something. It's, it's crazy. And I can keep that thing running and I've run mine now for like a couple of years and they've just been running. And I mean, I run them hard and it's, it's totally worth the money. And you know, I wouldn't say that about all the like knockoff saws from China. Um, I didn't have very good success with the, the, what's that one called? The Hoff, whatever, the Hosman, whatever, or the, um, the blue ones that are the steel knockoffs. Um, can't remember the names. Didn't have some good success with those, but I tell you this John Cutter is, is actually pretty impressive. So, you know, we, we've got to find ways to, um, yeah, the Holes Forza or whatever, or Halls Fora or whatever. Um, Forma, that's it. Halls Forma. Not not my favorite salt. So um, kind of keep that in mind, of course. One of the best way to save mo- you know money overall is buying the best value you can. That doesn't mean the most expensive. That doesn't mean the cheapest. But buying the little bit more expensive product that is a much better quality is the better value because that's going to last you for years and years and years. Um, that can be sometimes buying used product, but sometimes not. So I like, I see a lot of old, um, old O84s or whatever for sale on eBay. First off, I have a problem buying used saws on eBay a lot of times personally or on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace because I had my saw stolen here and I'm pretty sure they were hawked on uh, marketplace or Craigslist. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, marketplace or Craigslist or whatever. And yeah, that happens a lot. A lot of stuff gets stolen and resold. So I have a problem buying that. But the other thing is um, like the old saws, the 084s and stuff like that. Unless they were just very lightly used, and you can just tell they were very lightly used. Most of them are going to need lots of repairs. So whatever you spend on them, which usually isn't, in my opinion, a good enough deal, um, is not going to be sufficient for the price you're paying. You'd be better off going and buying a new saw, even though it's way more expensive, getting the warranty on it and being able to have a saw that's way more um, potentially practical 
and beneficial for you. So, yeah, um, that's that's just my input on it. I, I'm not saying I won't ever buy a U-Saw. Like, if I know it from somebody, like if there's a local tree service company that I know personally, I think they're reputable people. And he's like, yeah, I've got a, I, I'm replacing a saw. Got this old one. Do you want it? And he gives me a good deal on it. I, I, I know it's going to have been run hard. So I'll probably just send it off and have it rebuilt. But if I get a good enough deal on it, then it's worth it to me, if that makes sense. So, yeah, value is totally, totally um, what you should go for, not just the cheapest price or whatever. So I hope that going over the ANSI stuff for you guys this morning was beneficial and talking about a few of the other topics. And I hope that you guys um, continue to follow me. If we get to, or not if we, when we get to 5,000 followers on my account, I will be giving away some product. Um, I have I have product to give away, so I will announce what it is next week. Don't forget, I am going to be at the TCIA Expo 22. If you're going to be there, come by Gap Arbor Supply booth. You can meet me there. I will also be at um, the, uh, what's it called, RBI booth for a little bit. Um, don't worry about it. If you miss the ANSI stuff, this will be posted online on my Instagram account. You can go back and watch it. Um, so you're not missing anything. You just missed us talking about it right now. So I hope you guys are all out there making some money, being safe. Don't forget to have a little bit of fun. You keep your heads down. Make sure you're um, dotting those I's and crossing those T's. And uh, make sure your crew gets home safe tonight. That's the most important thing every day. And then, of course, I hope that everybody continues to be able to make progress in their professional careers. And I will see you guys in the next one. Take care.